this is the Daily Monotony Radio Broadcast Special Event, brought to you by Lucky Strike, Bowling. If you're gonna roll one, why not bowl one? Today we're bringing you very special coverage from the moving pictures futuristic event of the decade, The Fray in L.A., James Cameron's Henry Lee Champ, The Blue Feline Fury, The Horror from Pandora, The 3D Danger Game Changer, Avatar, Fresh Off of Victory at the Golden Globes by TKO, takes on independent poster gal Catherine Bigelow, and The Menace from Venice, The Sneak Attack from Iraq, The Smooth Talker, Tall Walker, Hurt Locker, and a cinematic showdown for the ages. Now here with exclusive commentary and predictions is our own lean bean, movie screen, dream team, here to give their thoughts on the main event and the 23 other Oscar title matches all taking place this Sunday night, live from the Kodak Theater in downtown Hollywood. This again is the Daily Monotony Radio Broadcast. Hi, this is Dustin Anglin, and welcome to a very special episode of Weekly Monotony. This week, we are talking about the Oscars. The Oscars are coming up soon, uh, this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time, which is where I am, which is the only important time. Uh, The Oscars are going to be coming, and we need to talk about them, Uh, tell you a bit about what we think is going to win. Uh, We're actually doing our own bit of a competition here. Uh, We are going to do a bet. We're going to go through and tell our picks for each particular category, and then whoever wins... The losers have to watch a terrible film of the winner's choice. So that's 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 the one part. And then the losers also have to buy the winner a bottle of champagne because it will be a celebration of Oscars and frivolity. And that's the way we roll on Weekly Monotony. Why don't you guys uh, introduce yourselves? Scott Johnsgard. And I'm Todd Anglin, the most outstanding expert in oscar picks so you guys might as well just fold now buy my champagne and prepare to watch <laughs> geely on your weekend that's that's the kind of kind of enthusiasm we're looking for all right all right and Todd, no, I think, it's plan nine from outer space <laughs> Todd, i think you you also have a a special sort of uh, uh another person who's True. joining us though not on the podcast True, in spirit. So uh, since I am married and since I do have another opinion in the house, I have provided a official Oscar ballot to my wife who sh- has subsequently filled it out. So I have two sort of votes to, to bring to the table tonight, and uh, her vote will be playing in the whole Oscar bet, so she's up for watching the bad movie and or get buying my champagne because it's already a foregone conclusion. I'm going to win. So <laughs> either way. Her votes are here. All right, well, let's, let's go ahead and, and jump right into it. We have 24 different categories to go through. We're going to go through each one, uh, tell you who we picked for the best uh, a piece, and then maybe talk a little bit about uh, the category itself, maybe some of the other people. Can we get game we show music? It's like you have 24 categories and There might be everything. game show music. In fact, there might be a game show piece of music right now. Ba-da-ba, oh, the magic of editing. <laughs> okay. All craziness aside, let's get started with our first class of champions, the heavyweights. So first up in heavyweights, we have Best Picture. It's the one that, even if you care nothing about the Oscars, I guarantee you, come Monday, you will know who the Best Picture is. It's something we all know about. It's it's uh, the most popular, most popular of all categories by far. And this year, a little special because we have... 10 nominees, something that we haven't had in the Oscars for, I think, over 30 years. Uh, usually they just have five. Now we've got this huge, broad uh, expanse of different films, a lot of contenders. Only one will walk away. And uh, Mr. Johnsgaard, let's start off with you. What did you pick for Best Picture? Well, there's an obvious, there's a fan favorite, and then there's a uh, 
Metacritic favorite, and everybody knows what each of them are. The question is whether or not Oscar will go to something that would actually help their ratings, or whether or not Oscar will go to the film that they would traditionally vote for. I'm going to say, even though there's 10 nominees this year, we can't take the snootiness out of the snoots. It's going to be The Hurt Locker. All right, so you choose Catherine Bigelow's Hurt Locker. Mr. Todd Anglin, what did you choose for Best Picture? Best Picture, I can't believe we're starting here. I mean, this is so so big. Um, this is where the Oscars will likely end. But I I think the dominoes will fall from this. And there's no question there's there's really only two choices here for the the winner, Hurt Locker or Avatar. And I think that this is going to be another year for James Cameron. I think this is going to be his next Titanic. So I am voting Avatar. And uh, to just take advantage of the opportunity of my mic time to read off uh, of Ramey's ballot, she is voting the Hurt Locker. So we do have uh, a split ballot here. Interesting, interesting. All right. Uh, and my choice, you know what? You know, I think you're right, Todd. There are only two obvious answers to this, and, and Scott, you point this, this out. There's the fan favorite, which is clearly Avatar. Uh, the amount of money it's made, I think at this point, over $2.5 billion worldwide. Uh, clearly something that people would like to see if it won Best Picture. I think there would be a lot of clout gained for the Academy, uh, who traditionally picks films that no one's ever heard of. I mean, if you look back at the... What do you mean? We all saw a crash. <laughs> if, you, say, if you look at the, best, the past winning Best Films of, like, the past, you know, a few years we have we have movies like No Country for Old Men, Slumdog Millionaire, uh, The Departed, maybe an outlier, uh, Crash, Million Dollar Baby. In fact, you have to go all the way back to I think 2004 before you see Return of the King, which is probably the last big budget fan favorite film that won a Best Picture award. And I do think that there's a chance that people may that uh, the Academy might go Avatar just because. Uh, they could get some some clout back with the the people they sort of alienated by choosing a lot of these films. But I chose The Hurt Locker because I really do think that uh, uh, The Hurt Locker is going to be the sort of indie film that could. It's it's something that has, I think, a lot of stuff going going behind it, a lot of buzz going behind it. Uh, and James Cameron already has $2.5 billion. And I've said this before, but I feel like the Academy likes to award people who don't have anything else to show for their awesome film. And that's why I think they're going to pick Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker. Here's and why I think I mean, you're wrong, and, and I'm going to defend my, my opinion some of the, the outlier amongst all four votes. Um, I think that because the Oscars expanded from five to ten this year in the Best Picture Award category, they're already acknowledging the fact that they were starting to lose some of their sort of just uh, credibility because people just weren't paying attention anymore when they were only nominating five obscure films. So a, I think they already point. are more aware of their sort of – slipping grip on the official status of or the official award of the movie i think they're looking to regain some some populist votes uh and at the same time if we look back to 1997 so a little over 10 years ago True. with titanic a huge i mean the the last big almost two billion dollar movie from the same director i think that there's precedent to say the uh, academy does award mega billion dollar movies with sweeping amounts of Oscars and they did it and they did it with James Cameron so I think they can do it again so so here's here's my counterpoint I totally agree that the Academy does award Oscars to very large films including films like Titanic back in 1997 films like Gladiator Ridley Scott's film I think back in in 2000 or 2001 
so it's it's not it's not unusual for them to award a big fan favorite. That said, if you look at fan favorites that end up winning Oscars, they also have a lot of other nominations for things like Best Actor, Supporting Actor. And if you look at Avatar, Avatar has a lot of the sort of, you know, cinematography, the art direction, the visual effects awards, but you don't see anything else in the actor categories. And that's why I think uh, despite, despite again, like you said, they're, they're obviously being some, some notion that the Academy gets that the number of films that have been nominated have been, you know, out of left field, random films that no one's ever heard of. I still think that uh, that the Hurt Locker is going to to pull it off simply because it's getting that kind of attention of the you know best editing, best actor nods, uh, the sort of across the board sweep, like you said, uh, and uh, and also partly because the Globes picked Avatar. I feel like sometimes the Academy likes to prove that they're better than the Globes. Yeah, and see, and so just to sort of as closing counterpoint, I I think that the Globes picking Avatar is more sort of uh, support for Avatar getting better recognition for being more than just a summer blockbuster or a whatever where, Winter it fell on the calendar. <laughs> and then uh, if you look at the, the history of the Oscars in relative last 15 years, it's only the last few years really where they've True. been on this obscure sort of sidetrack. Slumdog Millionaire, No Country for Old Men, The Departed, Crash, Million Dollar Baby, yes, so since 2004, weird. But then... Going back from there, Return of the King, Chicago, Beautiful Mind, Gladiator, American Beauty, Shakespeare in Love, Titanic, uh, Braveheart, Forrest Gump. I mean, these were all big movies. Silence of the Lambs keep going back. So it was more like the the obscure wing is what we've had for the last you know six years. And before that, there's been a much longer tradition of picking movies that are also very big. So I feel like, again, with the change in who they're nominating, they're recognizing they've been a little out of touch. And this is going to be the year they come back and recenter on what they've done historically. Interesting. So, so everyone going for the Hurt Locker, Todd the Outlier, thinking that this might be the year that we go back to uh, best pictures that people have actually seen before they win best picture. <laughs> There we let go. me let me toss in one final bit of, of counter counterpoint. Counterpoint on counter um, counter counterpoint to who's counter counterpoint. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Perhaps a tertiary counterpoint. Sounds good. Um, I, I agree with all the commentary that's been made thus far. The thing is that the expansion to ten best pictures to try and regain that popular support was made by the upper echelons of the Academy. That president guy who always pops up on the telecast and acts like he's important and like the public should know who he is. Those kinds of people. The actual voters, the actual file and rank of the Academy are still the stuck-up, snobby, very prestigious filmmakers who've been picked by other members of the Academy to come and be in their cool little club. That said, when you look at Avatar versus The Hurt Locker, The Hurt Locker is a spectacular piece of filmmaking, and everybody there is a professional and they know it. Avatar, if it wasn't 3D and it wasn't shiny, you would use the celluloid to wipe your butt after you had particularly severe bouts of colitis. This is why the Academy is not going to like Avatar quite as much as they should. You can go back and look at those popular f- films, Chicago, American Beauty, Return of the King. Those are all good movies. Yeah. Even Titanic was a pretty okay I mean, film. Do you, so, I mean, there, there's an interesting point. Last time Cameron... It's only cool because it's shiny and it's three-dimensional. Yeah, but I mean, again, last time Cameron sort of moved the bar on special effects was Titanic. First time to really use digital actors in big digital set pieces in that way. And the Academy went for it. So it's not... It's there is there is precedent for making those kind of shifts, and I you know I I think Avatar is about as good as a movie as Titanic was. Maybe Titanic had a bit more acting, uh, pleasure in it, a bit more acting uh, a prowess in it, but I don't know. 
Either way, strong points for both is either going to be Avatar or the Hurt Locker. If you've been to our Oscar site, that's who I'm putting up as the big title match. Uh, be interested to see. This might be the turning point on who wins and who goes home to watch a terrible film. All right, our next category is actor in a leading role. Uh, interesting mix of people this time. Uh, a few from some films that didn't really get recognized in any other way. Uh, but Mr. Johnsgard, what did you pick for actor in a leading role? Uh, this is actually kind of a difficult category for me this year because a handful of these performances I ha didn't see and wouldn't be able to see without some particularly obscure Netflixing. Um, I think on the possibility that a lot of the Academy will be voting for Avatar in Best Picture, they're going to want to throw Hurt Locker some bones in other categories. So I'm going to assume that this might get tossed to, despite the strong competition, Mr. Jeremy Renner in Hurt Locker. Interesting, interesting. Mr. Anglin, and uh, speaking for yourself and Mrs. Anglin, uh, what did you guys pick? It's a unified vote on this front, and this is another sort of feather in my cap of why I don't think that uh, the Hurt Locker is going to take best picture. Uh, I'm going to go with the Golden Globes here and all the buzz sort of pre-Oscar and say that the best leading actor is going to go to Jeff Bridges for Crazy Heart, despite the fact that I haven't seen it. Uh, and I have seen the Hurt Locker, so I've seen Jeremy Renner's performance. I think that um, there's his favor, and it's sort of his turn, so to speak, uh, for who's for a guy who's been a relatively consistent actor to get the best actor nod. So I'm going to go Jeff Bridges and Crazy Heart, as d did Raimi on her ballot. Cool. All right, and so I chose I, – I had to go with, with the Anglins on this one. I guess this is sort of a, a last-name bias thing. But I, I went with the dude – Jeff Bridges. Uh, I have to admit, recently Jeff Bridges has been become like one of my favorite actors, and I actually did get a chance to go see, uh, to go see Crazy Heart, which was was a quite an amazing film, uh, and a, an amazing performance too. It was very natural, a very subtle performance, but uh, just a very honest portrayal of this this kind of a story that we've sort of seen in recent history, and I, I liken, liken it very much to uh, the performance by Mickey Rourke last year in The Wrestler, and because the fact that he got out Sean Penn in the last years, I think this is going to be the chance to sort of make up for that sort of old person on his last leg performance, and uh, I think uh, Jeff Bridges is going to win the Oscar that Mickey Rourke should have won. So Jeff Bridges, uh, I clearly think, is, is going to go up there. Uh, we have Jeff Bridges for me, for Todd, and for Raimi. And then we have a vote for Jeremy Renner by Mr. Johnsgard. I have to say there, there's some interesting choices on this list. Uh, we see there's a nod for, uh, to Colin Firth for a single man. In fact, this is, the I think, the only nod to a single man, uh, which is sort of odd. It was, this was kind of one of those last-minute Oscar hopefuls about a, you know, a gay guy in the 60s and the troubles he went through. So it's very, it's very much the kind of movie the Oscars would normally pick. Uh, uh, but I don't think that's going to pull anything. I thought George Clooney did a great job in the up the air, but I don't think it was anything beyond what he normally does, and uh, uh, I really didn't think it was like anything better than what he did in Michael Clayton. Morgan Freeman, I think, was just thrown in there because it's Morgan Freeman, and they needed to fill a slot. Like, I haven't seen Invictus, but I can't imagine it was it was a yeah. A tremendous from what I've seen of that, it, I was surprised because I mean, it did not look like it was anything special as far as his role is concerned. It's, it's just one of those Clint Eastwood things that you know there are enough Clint Eastwood fanboys within the Academy itself, I think, to put to put people like Morgan Freeman and, and uh, Matt Damon on, on the, the map, uh, which we'll see you with yeah. our next category. All right, so we ha now we have actor in a supporting role. Uh, the, uh, 
I, I, actually, you know, this is sort of interesting. You know, it's not something I knew before, but uh, Scott, I know you're quite the, the cinephile when it comes to defining terms. Can you explain to us what a supporting role really means? You know, I think the Academy probably has a precise way of defining it, um, which I've never bothered to look up. But as far as I can tell, um, how it actually dumps out is if you are nominated as a supporting actor, that's the category you show up in. And if you are nominated as a leading actor, that's the category you show up in. <laughs> but I think if you score enough votes to appear in both, they bump you up into the leading one and disregard your votes in the supporting category. I actually believe that's how it's done. I might be wrong, though, and people who actually read Wikipedia should correct me. So in generally, generally, I think of supporting actors just someone who has a very small amount of time that they appear on screen. But I know that's that's not always the case. I think there was someone who had a very small amount of time, one of the best actor, not supporting actor, right? Yeah, that was um, Mr. Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs 1991, for which his screen appearance was less than half of an hour. Amazing how you just pulled and... that right off the top of your head. That's that's impressive. Yes, naturally. Um, <laughs> but like I mean, Google in the flesh. It, it really just, the, the acting members of the Academy will nominate where they feel like whichever category you get the most votes in is the one that you'll end up appearing in. Cool. So. All right. So, so that being said, who did you pick for uh, actor in supporting role? Well, I, I think this is, this is one of those categories where if you don't vote for the obvious person, you're an idiot. And then, of course, as usual, the Academy will surprise us and do something it else. It can happen. But yeah. I think in this case, everyone's pretty much widely agreed that the European actor, Mr. Christoph Waltz in Inglorious Bastards, is about as supporting as an actor can get. All right. Christoph Waltz for Scott Johnsgaard. Todd, about you and Remy. Uh, I am siding with the Golden Globes and with my own eyes and with Christoph Waltz as well from Inglorious Bastards. I think that he was easily the standout supporting actor for any movie I saw. So I think he not only will get it, but I think he deserves it in any perspective. So I don't think this is a really obscure pick. Uh, on Raimi's ballot side, I think she went more with kind of just her gut on the blind voting side, and she voted for Stanley Tucci in The Lone, the Lovely Bones. Interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, to, to note, that is the only nomination for The Lovely Bones, uh, which I think was mostly regarded critically as a pretty pretty terrible film, and I actually did go see it, and I have to agree, it was pretty awful. Uh, though Stanley Tucci was the only shining spot. He plays a really creepy... Uh, pedophile murder guy which and uh it's it's a it's an impressive performance i'll have to give it to him uh but yeah uh i think you guys are all crazy because clearly the winner in this is matt damon wow i hear a dude crush (laughs) (laughs) that's a joke come on it's christoph waltz uh the only i mean one of the the reason inglorious bastards was as amazing as it was was almost half responsible uh for chris christoph waltz's performance uh, obvious choice. Uh, you know, a cool, cool to see Woody Harrelson on here. I think he's a great actor. I'd love to see him nominated and win something in the future. Uh, Christopher Plummer, he's sort of you know an easy choice to go to. He's a an old British guy who who speaks well and acts very well. So, uh, but yeah, Christoph Waltz all the way. Easy choice. All right, our next next category is actress in a leading role. An interesting group of people. Uh, a lot of films that, again, a lot of people probably haven't seen. Uh, though an interesting, interesting one of Sandra Bullock out there for The Blind Side, a slightly more popular film. Uh, Scott Johnsgaard, who did you choose for actress in the leading role? Well, it's this is a perfect example of of nominations within an acting category by the Academy. There's a 
oh, a little new person will pat you on the head for doing something good. And, oh, you know, kind of respected actor or actress will kind of toss you a bone. And some industry heavyweights who we nominate every year because we're just obsessed with them. And then randomly, apparently, some great performance from some movie that isn't actually very good, which is going to win <laughs> in this case for the blind side. All right, so going, going with uh, the blind side and Miss Sandra Bullock, Todd, by you and Remy. Did, did you refer to that movie as an obscure movie? No, no I, I said I, I said noted that that's actually one of the few uh, non-obscure uh, movies that uh, we see a nomination from. I thought that's that's how uh, had Scott had framed it. I was, I was a little curious at his his summation of the uh, the title. <laughs> I and the leading actress category have also voted for Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side. Uh, my my reasoning being that I think like. A lot of actors through the history of the Academy, I think it's kind of, or actresses in this case, it's her turn. And I hate to say that, but the Academy, I think, does have a tendency sometimes when somebody's been around a long time and has sort of been denied recognition because Sandra Bullock typically does comedies. And comedies, as we all know, don't really fare well in the Oscars. Here, I think she did a good job playing a dramatic role. And I think they're kind of using this opportunity to recognize not only her for her role in this movie, but really more for her body of work she's done under uh, Bullock and uh, again this is a, a pick that and I, I just to reference here as I say this I cross-reference I didn't make my choices based on but this is also the pick from the Golden Globes for best actress so I think there's some uh, additional supporting evidence there on Raimi's ballot helper and I think her pick is actually very interesting here she has picked uh, Gabor what is it Gabori Gabori I don't even know thanks from Precious, and I think this is an interesting pick because obviously Precious has gotten a lot of press for you know basically taking an unknown and really launching her into uh, the spotlight. And while I think that that's admirable, I, I have some reasons why I don't think it's going to win, but that's her pick, and I think it definitely is probably one of the, the best picks you could pick other than Sandra Bullock on this list. So I think uh, that's the real dark horse here. Cool, all right, so so uh, so far unanimous Sandra Bullock. Uh, it's it's an interesting. No, not unanimous. Oh, I'm sorry, not unanimous. I'm sorry, unanimous. Uh, uh, two for Sandra Bullock and one for uh, Gabriela Sidibe. <laughs> in a, loosely unanimous, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, yeah. So so it's an interesting list. Uh, it, it's actually interesting, Scott, that that you said that this is actually a very you know archetypical acting nomination list because you do see you have the two heavy hitters the two academy award-winning classic people helen Mirren for the last station meryl street for julie and julia uh you have two newcomers uh first-time actors uh gabriel sedebe for precious and uh carrie mulligan for an education uh i I saw both of those films i thought uh, they were excellent in both and then sandra bullock for the blind side in a film that was not necessarily considered the best film but apparently an amazing performance and uh, i had to go with sandra bullock again uh i haven't seen the blind side so i feel a little bad having seen uh most of these other films but not seeing the blind side still picking that i am going a bit with the buzz that i hear coming apparently her performance was just great and i do agree with todd that there's a bit of a She's had it coming. She's pretty popular. She's never done a lot of great films, and this was her one breakout chance to sort of get some Oscar glory. She didn't win the Globe for it, so I think that's a, a pretty logical and safe choice to go for. Uh, though I think Raimi is right that Gabriel Sidibe is the uh, obvious uh, runner-up or a possible upset win for this category. Yeah, I agree. All right, next up, actress in a supporting role. Uh, 
some interesting choices on the list. Uh, Scott, I'll go ahead and ask you, what did you choose for this list? Yeah, um, this is what I would call a less archetypal um, Academy acting category nomination. Um, in the sense that they didn't know what the hell to do, so they just sort of grabbed a bunch of random people from various <laughs> movies who were like, well, you did an acceptable professional job, so we'll throw you in here. Because we've already sort of picked out the one person who impressed us, and, well, there was nothing else that happened. Yep. Um, so that pretty much is the rest of the list, with the exception of the obvious pick, which is Ms. Monique from Precious, um, for a hilariously terrifying role. And, and well... All right, so that's that's one for Monique from Precious. Todd, about you and Raimi? Uh, I'll start with Raimi's. She went with uh, a pick here from a movie that really got a lot of buzz going into the movie, but once the movie was out, I don't think it did so well critically. Uh, however, the director succeeded quite well with his previous movie, Chicago, uh, and she voted for Penelope Cruz in Nine. Uh, so I, I think it's an interesting pick. Nine, I don't think, has a lot of recognition in this year's Oscars, but it does show up in a few places. Uh, and it certainly featured I, – I, it's not a movie I saw, but I know it featured a, a whole host of A-list actresses uh, cast in this sort of – I don't know this, this – I don't even know much about the movie, except there's this collection of women uh, all kind of seeking the affection of this one guy. Uh, so she goes Penelope <laughs> Cruz in Nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. And I, on the other hand, side with Scott here, Monique in Precious. Again, I think Precious is one of those movies that does, for me, very much feel like an Oscar movie. It's one of those movies that kind of makes you uncomfortable. You don't really want to <laughs> yes, watch it. it. So I think that's, that's perfect Oscar movie kind of, kind of stuff. And since it's, I didn't pick it in the other category, I feel like they do want to recognize it somewhere. So I think that she's a... Uh, an obvious pick there, and it also happens to be the Golden Globe pick for supporting actress, so I think there's more supporting evidence for that. So I'm going with Monique in the supporting actress role. Right, and yeah, I, I also have to agree with you guys. I uh, went with Monique. Uh, I saw Precious. It's a it's a powerful film, and one of the reasons it is so powerful is the the amazingly sinister performance by Monique. Uh, I, I really, I've, I've said this before, but I feel like she is the, the sort of the Christoph Waltz of the of the sort of female acting category. She plays this incredibly frightening villain, and uh, I yeah, I think she she's got it all but in the bag. Uh, amazing performance for her. Not an actress I've I've recognized in a lot of other stuff before, but uh, uh, yeah, I think I think she's just like Christoph Waltz. She's almost a shoe in for the uh, supporting role for actress. Uh, some interesting interesting people on here. I do really think you you nailed it. There's I think feel like they had no idea what else to do. It's like it's going to be Monique and. Here's some other ones that were kind of okay. Anna Kendrick, I thought she did a great job in Up in the Air. Uh, same with Vera Farmiga. Uh, both the incredible performances. Maggie Gyllenhaal, nothing special in Crazy Heart. I don't know why that's on there. It's a little odd of choice. Uh, Penelope Cruz, I do have to say, is an interesting choice uh, for Raimi. Penelope Cruz actually won an Oscar for Supporting Actress last year for the film Vicky Cristina Barcelona. So if she did win this year, that would be sort of an interesting sort of two times in a row. And I'm actually not sure whether... An actor or actress has won the Oscar two times in a row, but uh, who knows? It was definitely, uh, I think, Nine was sort of a critical darling before it got released, uh, but uh, who knows? Uh, definitely <laughs> has some nominations on here. We'll see. Maybe Penelope Cruz can uh, can pull off a, a pretty magical uh, two-timer. All right, so the next category is uh, the last of our heavyweights, 
and that is directing. I think this is the, you know, once we get past the actors in Best Picture, uh, this is one of the, the few sort of, I would say, technical-ish uh, categories where the person who wins it is probably not someone you've ever, it might not be someone you've ever seen before, but might be. Uh, but it still definitely goes there in, in, this, in the heavyweight category because it's something that people will know, hopefully, uh, eventually after this, uh, will know the names of some, some amazing directors. Usually goes to the person who wins Best Picture, has not in the past. Uh, famously, uh, I believe, for Brokeback Mountain, we saw a, yep. a, a win uh, that was different than the Best Picture win, which happened to be Crash that year. So not a shoe in but uh, could usually goes with the guy who wins Best Picture. Scott, uh, who did you choose? Well, this this is tough for me. Um, we see some category avatar obviously mr james cameron hurt locker katie bigelow and glorious bastards the not academy favorite but certainly has some fanboys behind him mr tarantino um and then otherwise competent directors in the other category in the other two nominations but i mean really for me it comes down to that tripe prong avatar hurt locker and glorious bastards question and I mean, you might want to throw it to Cameron because of sort of the massive achievement that Avatar represents. I know I've been working on it for years and all that. At the same time, Avatar sucks. Hurt Locker doesn't. <laughs> and in fact, Hurt Locker is probably one of the best war films I've ever seen. It really gets inside of the head of a soldier and what it means to do soldiering. For a particularly absurd type of soldiering, which is just perfect for sort of our postmodern society where if something's paradoxical, then it's that much better. Um and then, then, then the other thing is Inglorious Bastards. Clearly, as the closing line indicates, it's sort of a masterpiece of a director who has been nominated. He's been taking away one of those little statuettes. So it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of a, it's a toss-up between those three for me. I'm going to have to say that it's Katie and Hurt Locker because that's a spectacular film, and the Academy still has a little bit of indulgence. All right, so. So despite the fact that Scott clearly disagrees with uh, how awesome Avatar is, which Avatar is awesome, despite what he says, and I think people tend to agree. Despite what he says and then what $1.8 billion <laughs> says. Uh, go, going with, with Catherine Bigelow and The Hurt Locker, which I believe is also your choice for best film. Scott, or I'm sorry, Todd, uh, what about you and Ramey? Uh This is interesting, right? So... Catherine Bigelow, of course, being James Cameron's ex-wife, yep. <laughs> uh, makes this sort of a funny battle to begin with. Uh, do you go with with James Cameron or do you go with his ex? Um, I think that you have to be consistent with your best picture pick here for picking directing. I know you've highlighted that it's not all to him, but it often is very connected, especially when you expect a movie to kind of sweep the Oscars. And I think... I, I would guess that people are kind of expecting either Hurt Locker to sweep a lot of its categories or Avatar to sweep a lot of its categories. Um, and so for me, this is kind of one of those things where if, if I hit the first domino, in this case, we already know that I've, I've knocked over Avatar as the best, best picture. Yep. I think the dominoes are going to fall in Avatar's camp. If I'm wrong at the front and they pick Hurt Locker, then I'm pretty much screwed through my <laughs> whole nomination bracket. You will be watching uh, nomination a bad bracket. movie <laughs> and buying Line yeah. 9 from Outer Space. <laughs> and I recognize that it's a risk. And I recognize that Hurt Locker does represent the more traditional uh, the more traditional pick that the Academy would go for. However, I've already bet on Avatar, so I'm, I'm betting again on Avatar for the best directing nod. That being said, 
I actually would prefer if it was my own personal preference that Inglorious Bastards wins <laughs> because I thought that frankly was a more a more entertaining film of Avatar and Hurt Locker. I saw the Hurt Locker and I didn't really think it was anything too special for a war film. Um, I, I'm not quite as caught up in all the hype, I suppose. But uh, Inglorious Bastards, I thought, was pretty unique. And I thought the story told there and the way it was told by Quentin Tarantino is sort of not only entertaining but also Oscar-worthy. But I, I don't think it's going to win. On Raimi's ballot, she voted in the other way. She voted with her first domino, The Hurt Locker, and she's giving the nod for best directing to The Hurt Locker. So we've got split here on the, the Anglin household side. Avatar for me, Hurt Locker for Raimi. All right. Uh, and I, I also chose uh, to sort of stick with the, the horse that I selected at the, at the beginning, and I went with Catherine Bigelow. Uh, I think she has a bit more interesting of a story than, than James Cameron does, and I think uh, I think the, the Academy does sort of like the, the sort of, you know, success stories of seeing someone, you know, really come come to their prime uh, and, and have a great, a great film and, and become a great director. And, you know, Catherine Bigelow, she's done films in the past. She did films like Point Break, uh, uh, K-19, The Widowmaker. And uh, she's never really gotten into that state where she's been, like, the, the top-tier director. And this, I think, is the film that's really gotten her up in the limelight, especially with a lot of the, the bigwigs and, and, uh, and uh, sort of, I guess, mind mindshare leaders in Hollywood. So I'm going with Catherine Bigelow, though I totally think – uh, James Cameron could win a very well-deserved Oscar for this. He did engineer an amazing project, and you have to you have to give some some nod to that. So it's it is pretty impressive. I would not be surprised to see James Cameron maybe pull this way, even if Hurt Locker went on to win an Oscar for best uh, best picture. I also agree with you, Todd. Though I'd love to see Quentin Tarantino win. I think he's an awesome director who doesn't get enough credit, especially amongst the kind of snobby Academy crowd who I don't think likes him that much. Yeah, I just wanted to throw, you know, my hat in the ring for Mr. Tarantino as well. I mean, I don't think he's going to take this, but I would love to see him win that award. Easily my vote if I was a member of the Academy. All right, so we have we have a, a Catherine Bigelow, a Catherine Bigelow, a James Cameron, and a Catherine Bigelow. I will win. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. You know, you, you, pick, you pick the way you're going to go and, and stick with it. That's, that's integrity. Losing integrity. <laughs> okay, we're into our next section. I'll either go down as a genius or I'll go down as a total loser. <laughs> I think he's watching Plan Nine from Outer I Space. I think we know how it's gonna go. We're into our next sec- section, uh, the uh, middleweight class. The stuff that you might hear about and might say, "Oh, that's kind of interesting," but probably not gonna know much more about that. There might be a few things in there that you care about, mostly stuff. Uh, Stuff you're not going to care about, though, from movies you've probably heard of. The first thing up on our list is one of my favorite categories of all time. Uh, One I wish got way more recognition than it does because it feels kind of like the throwaway category. Though, because Up did get a nomination, uh, maybe we'll start seeing some changes in the future. But, of course, this category is animated feature film. Scott, what did you select? Some really great films in here, but uh, the obvious front-runner... A bit above the others, and uh, that would be Pixar's up. Yeah, it's, it's a little di- it's a little difficult when when one of the films is also nominated for best picture. <laughs> so Todd, what what did you and Ray pick for this category? So it's actually unanimous on this side. Uh, I don't think you ever want to vote against Pixar. 
even when Disney has a comeback year with traditional animation and John Lasseter at the helm of a, a really fine hand-animated film, True. Up is still at, uh, at its best and probably one of the most effective films at creating an emotional response that I've ever seen in the animated form. So Up is the pick on both Raimi and my ballot. Yeah, and like I said, uh, I think Up is about the only thing that you really can pick. Uh, unfortunate because there are some great films in here. I really thought The Princess and the Frog was a great return to form for Disney Animation. I really look forward to whatever the next project is uh, in the 2D category. I loved Coraline way more than I ever expected I would. In fact, I just finished watching it again in uh, in Blu-ray. This time it was not in 3D, but it was still in, uh, incredibly entertaining. Fantastic Mr. Fox fell flat for me. It's unfortunate. I like Wes Anderson, but it was not superb. Uh, the Secret of Kells is a weird one. This is the one of the... I actually made a, a blog post about this, which you can read on dailymonotony.com. Uh, but this sort of surprised everyone. No one knew what this film was when it got nominated. People were scratching their heads, and it turns out it's a it's an Irish uh, animated film. It actually looks pretty cool, but uh, the reason why is it has not yet to air in the United States. In fact, it will air for the first time in the United States, uh, I believe, this coming Friday <laughs> in New York <laughs> in one, on one screen. So, is What are the rules for the Oscars in terms of needing to be I think it's that the film must have aired before a certain cutoff date though I don't think it states whether it has to be in the United States or just anywhere and it did premiere in the UK and in Ireland before this so I think that's how it managed to to, to get uh, pulled in here all right next category art direction uh, getting into sort of the obscure ones uh, but uh, that hopefully means that these uh, these talks will go a bit faster uh, Scott would you pick for art direction um, art direction, some colorful films here, but I think the obvious pick, just because of the sheer overwhelming sensory dump that it provides, is Avatar. All right, so pick for Avatar. And actually, you know, before we, we finish going through this, and I know I want to say this go fast, but uh, uh, quickly, does anyone want to try to throw out what they consider their definition of art direction? Because it's kind of a, an obscure cinema term. I don't know. I mean, when you look at the movies that are listed here, I think it sort of suggests that what the Academy is looking for is uh, a film that sort of picks a theme and commits to it and then does it in a very stylized um, and and fully thought through way. Because there's a, quite a diversity of, of choice here, especially when you consider that the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus is, is on here. Um, Parnassus, Parnassus is on yeah. here. So it's... It's a diverse collection. I don't know what the official definition would be, but that's certainly how I envisioned it in my head. I think I think that sounds about what I use in my head, sort of, uh, sort of having a sort of end-to-end uh, look and feel uh, to both, you know, the way the film is shot, to the way the costumes are designed, the way the sets are put together. Uh, yeah, that's, that's Scott. Do you have any anything else to add about what you consider art direction? Right. Well, I mean, sort of the official definition. If you if you go and talk to maybe an, somebody who's credited as an art director, the people who actually win these awards, and talk to them about what they have to do, they're responsible for taking, uh, basically listening to the director babble about what the world should look like, and going and making sure that all the elements are in place. That means that the person who works under them are people like the uh, set dressers, the costume design team works underneath the art direction team, uh, any sort of throwing up backgrounds in terms of special effects for blending a world seamlessly together, those sorts of things. The art director is responsible for the world that the camera, that the director is able to drop a camera into and drop some actors into and say, here's what's happening. Cool. All right. And so, and you, you are picking Avatar for the sheer spectacle, despite the fact that you think it's a crappy movie. So 
Just, That's just going to say. A little inconsistent there. <laughs> Not inconsistent. <laughs> uh, Todd, what about you and Remy? Uh, again, a unanimous pick here, and I think the dominoes will fall in my direction. I think Avatar will win art direction. It's by far the grandest of the films here and the most committed. And when you consider every background and every scene of every shot in this movie is basically art direction. True. And both Raimi and I end up on the same pick with Avatar for this category. Yeah, yeah I think... And I think it's going to fall like it does, <laughs> right from Best Picture down to here. All right. Uh, so so in, I, I also picked Avatar. My reasoning is that I think Avatar is going to win any category it's nominated for that The Hurt Locker is also not nominated for. And this just happens to be <laughs> one of those categories. Uh, uh, so, yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, it is, you know, the world of Pandora, everything in it, it's all fully realized, completely generated CG world. I mean, if there's anything that deserved, you know, a applause for the amount of artistry and artists who had to be involved in this i mean uh, avatar's got to be it all right moving on to the next one cinematography uh, i i like to think of this as a you know being specifically about the camera moves about the way the camera is set up uh almost like you know if you were to consider you know what is you know a good looking photography only applied into uh motion pictures uh that do you guys want to add anything else to, to that definition about what you guys consider when you consider cinematography? Brilliant. I think that, that captures what's in my head. It's basically how uh, how do you creatively use the cameras to tell your story. All right, great. Uh, Scott, what, what did you pick for cinematography? A couple of good nominations here. I think, um, in particular, Inglorious Bastards had some, some well-put-together cinematography, but the obvious front-runner for me is The Hurt Locker. This film has some extraordinary shots in it, some visuals you'll remember for years, and some some real poster shots, so to speak. You know, that it, you're an idiot if this doesn't go on your, your theatrical teaser poster, <laughs> which they we all did. did. <laughs> all right, uh, one for Hurt Locker. Todd, but what about you and Remy? Todd, I think I know which way, which way yours is going. <laughs> yeah, mine should start to be obvious, uh, and why I think that Avatar will win Best Picture is because I think it has to win this category. And this is one of those ones where when I was starting to think Best Picture, and I looked at the battle over places where Hurt Locker and Avatar were nominated together, cinematography for me has to go to Avatar over the Hurt Locker because the things that Scott's describing are more about, in my opinion, the art direction and the overall and what the camera captures. The way it's being captured to me is... Yes, traditional filmmaking. Yes, great examples of traditional filmmaking. But James Cameron invented an entire new way of making film uh, with Avatar. The whole idea of a 3D set of actions that's captured and then re-visualized by the director through a whole new set of sort of cinematography equipment. For me, I don't know how you can't recognize that. Uh, so Avatar is my pick, and on Raimi's list as well, Avatar is also uh, her pick in this category. So I think she's here trying to play a little bit of that, uh, cover both bases. <laughs> sort of, yeah, spread, spread your, you know, spread out the uh, the risk you have. I can understand that. She may have the most insurance policy here. She may. She end might up end up winning a, a bottle of champagne, and we might all end up watching a bad film. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we lose, I've I've heard it from her on Casual Authority. We may all be watching Bring It On oh, Three. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Is that the one with the chick from Heroes? Well, now we have incentive, right? <laughs> now this means something. Now it's high stakes. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I, no yeah. I, I agree with you, Todd. Uh, 
uh, Avatar is definitely worthy of notice in this that, uh, I mean, considering the fact that James Cameron did do so much with the camera in particular, he invented a new kind of camera, both for a stereoscopic camera to capture live action stuff and a sort of digital camera that he could use to swing around these digital environments and get that sort of real-time look at this CG world. So a lot of cool work done there. But I have to say, I think it's going to go with the Hurt Locker, mostly because I think uh, the Hurt Locker is going to sweep, and so I'm going with my sort of domino choice. But also, I think in particular, no other film in this category is the camera and the cinematography a character in the film. And the way the Hurt Locker is shot with this sort of, you could almost imagine you know, that some guy running around with, with sort of a handicam watching these guys, and the fact that it's used to really tell the story, the fact that it shows these shots of you know, people coming from like outside of windows and behind curtains, and it gives you this really this sense of sort of of, of claustrophobia and tension uh, in these urban environments. I don't think you see anyone else using the camera to really advance the storytelling, but the Hurt Locker, and so that was that's why I think it is going to uh, going to and should win this this category. So if you can give an Academy Award to cops for the way it films chasing <laughs> criminals, I guess you can give one to the Hurt Locker for filming urban environments on a handicap. Touche, touche. Uh, some it- interesting choices in here. Uh, the only nomination for Harry Potter. Uh, an interesting, a really odd choice in that, though I do have to admit, of of any of the Harry Potter films, this was actually really beautifully shot. I just happened to think the film was the most boring film I've ever seen, so... Yeah, I was surprised to see a Harry Potter nod in the academies, frankly, in any category. I think I think this is probably more going out to maybe they know this guy, uh, Bruno Delbonel, I guess. Uh, uh, maybe, and you know, it was pretty good work, and considering he did this great work and it was, you know, sort of a a campy kids blockbuster film, like that's that's impressive, I guess, to to go out there with that. Uh, Inglorious Bastards, again, I thought it had some great cinematography, though I felt more like homages to older forms of cinematography, nothing in ter- terribly new in that. White Ribbon, an interesting one, especially because this film, uh, this is a, a German film that's also nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. It's das Weiße Bond. It's, it's shot entirely in black and white, so I can see the appeal for it. Uh, a lot of sort of appealing to people's artistic nature and photography and film, uh, though I don't see an upset. So though you never know. Das, das Weiße Bond. Das Weiße Bond. <laughs> das Weiße Bond. Das Weiße Bond. Yeah, I'm sorry. All right, moving on. (laughs) Which means the next category. (laughs) All right, costume design. Again, getting into the more obscure ones. Uh, I think we're going to start to see a bit more guessing as we go on. Uh, uh, Pretty obvious what this is about. Uh, Scott, what did you pick for costume design? But they love period costume dramas. All you have to do is go back and look at, you know, the Duchess or that stupid Marie Antoinette. That the young Victoria is the winner. The end. All right, uh, that's uh, definitely a safe choice. Uh, Todd, about you and Ramey? Uh This was definitely sort of a guessing game for me, and I actually ended up making the same kind of educated guess, and I went with the young Victoria, simply because a period piece of that time, you have to be so committed to costume. We have the grand costumes of the royalty to the peasant costumes that surround it. Uh, I, I, it seems to me that the Academy, and I don't have facts to back this up, but I would just kind of anecdotally think that they'd like to reward that kind of effort. So I picked uh, the young Victoria and Ramey went with nine and nine is another interesting pick because nine of course is more bringing that idea of a, a musical to screen kind of like Chicago. And you have a much different type of costume design there, but also a very 
stylized approach. So I think it's a good sort of uh, alternative to the Young Victoria, this category. Sure. Uh, yeah, and I, I I went the same thing, uh, Young Victoria. It ten- tends to be if there is a period piece, uh, I think we've seen this before with Marie Antoinette, uh, that this is what this is gives them their nod, even if they weren't a great film, which I don't think the Young Victoria was a particularly amazing film, but uh, people... But it has Emily Blunt. People just love to see those big, you know, elegant, fancy period pieces, whether they were true to life or not. Uh, so uh, that's that's the choice I end up going with. Uh, I think Nine is, is a pretty a pretty safe choice, too. I think uh, uh, in the past, Chicago and other musicals have, have sort of been favorites for this category. Uh, Imaginary of Dr. Parnassus, uh, a random throw in there. Bright Star, I haven't seen it, so I couldn't say... Same with Coco, Coco before Chanel, but aren't those the names of like clothing stuff? So <laughs> could, could be an upset. I actually don't know, uh, but yeah, I went with Young Victoria. All right, next category: film editing. How all those pieces of hours and hours and hours of film were put together into one single film product. Uh, Scott, what did you choose for film editing? Strong picks in this category. For me, a real battle between The Hurt Locker, which is spectacularly edited, really a film that gets to breathe at certain points, which is something that you don't see cinema doing a lot nowadays. And Inglorious Bastards, which is the only film on this list which maybe can out-breathe The Hurt Locker. Um, Tarantino knows just how long to let a scene sort of sit <laughs> and then sit a little bit longer and then do something unexpected to really pay off whatever patience he managed to extract from you. Um, but that said, I think that Tarantino, uh, for his, you know, crazy nature, sort of loses a few fans amongst the stingy, stuck-up Academy voters. And so it's probably going to be Katie Bigelow again and Hurt Locker. All right, so that's one for the Hurt Locker. Todd, about you and Remy. Uh, a bit of a split opinion on this end. Of course, I think this still falls into my the dominoes start falling for and I think, again, I, I don't know that Avatar would personally be my, my personal pick, but I think because it does fall into my whole idea that once the dominoes start falling, they have to keep falling, I, of course, make the vote for Avatar. And I think it's fair. I mean, Avatar is a grand movie, and when you consider, again, the scope of what was accomplished in that movie in terms of producing a, a movie that really elevates the craft of movie making, at least from a technical perspective... Uh, I think the editing certainly goes right along with it. So Avatar is my pick, though I do want to make sure that I acknowledge that Hurt Locker and Inglorious Bastards certainly are very uh, honorable choices here. Raimi's pick is for District Nine, Interesting. and I Interesting. think part of the pick, part of the reason for the pick here is it's among the movies on this list. It's one of the few that she actually did get a chance to see from some of these picks. So I think she was sort of looking at that. And I think from her perspective there, what she was observing is that. She, the, the way she described it, what I think she's essentially captured is she was impressed with the way they were able to take, you know, what looked like Handycam film mm-hmm. and do all those digital effects kind of, you know, merged into that and have the editing come across where you felt like you were watching a, and this is really more accurate than what I accused you of before, a cops style <laughs> camera that was capturing aliens and all this weird other stuff happening sure. on screen. So I think she, she gave the nod that direction for that. You know, that that's actually a really interesting choice because you know the way district nine was shot it was shot mostly improv uh there's a lot of extra footage in fact if you watch the special features on the dvd or blu-ray you will see a ton of extra footage that they didn't didn't put in there in fact you can see that a lot of the stuff that end up being in the film was just snippets of this longer shooting period they did of sort of 
walking through the shanty town and, and shooting a bunch of shots that were all ad-libbed. Uh, so I have to say, I think of the list, District 9 actually probably has the best work in film editing of any of these uh, uh, particular films. But I chose The Hurt Locker because, again, I feel like this is one of those categories where it tends to be if you're nominated for Best Picture and you win it, you're also going to pick up this one. I also think this is a pretty good indicator, too, because it's one of the early categories we see of what film is going to win Best Picture. So uh, I think if, if Avatar wins this, we might see the dominoes going one way. If Hurt Locker wins this, I think uh, Hurt Locker is going to go forward. Scott, I have to admit, I'm surprised at your choice for Inglorious Bastards because I have to think that the editing in Inglorious Bastards is actually probably one of the... the, 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 he, didn't, the he didn't pick Inglorious Bastards. Uh, no, no, but his, his, I guess his admiration for it. Uh, oh, as okay. it being a, a good, good, uh, good choice, because some of the films, some of the scenes in that that film are obnoxiously long, and I think I've, I've even heard uh, interviews by Quentin Tarantino saying that he felt bad for a lot of scenes where he held him out for like thirty minutes and stuff like that. So, so I actually think that the Inglorious Bastards lacked but an they editor. They pay off <laughs> so magnificently, and it, it it is it's characteristic of his directorial oh, it, style. It's very characteristic. Where he That's still true. pushes scene a little bit too far. And then pay it off. But again. but I definitely think you know when I look back at Inglorious Bastards, it's an now, whether or not you think those payoffs are worth eight, that's the question. Sure, but I mean I, I would say it's probably one of the the weaker points of Inglorious Bastards is its its film editing. I think it does tend to push a little bit longer than is able to keep most people's attention. But but uh, clearly it's a it's a different style of editing, and uh, and uh, who knows? Maybe it'll be a surprise. Not likely. Makeup. Next category. Uh, only three in this list. Uh, Scott, what did you go for? Um, ba -bum, bum, 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 bum. Uh -huh. Good choice for Star Trek. Uh, really? Wow. Oh, interesting. Well, I'm interested now, Todd. What What did you choose? I actually gave, and I will admit this is a bit more of a, another category where I just had to kind of guess because I'm not really sure what the Academy's looking for in the makeup category. And while I considered Star Trek, certainly one of my favorite movies from the summer, I don't really think the makeup was too spectacular. I mean, you obviously have the aliens, and I, I guess maybe they give a nod for creating creatures, but I thought that they might give, again, with the whole best costume design. So I kind of clumped the young Victoria here with costume design and went that route. To me, somehow, Star Trek feels like a movie, unlike Avatar, that was a big blockbuster success that the Academy doesn't really care to recognize. So that was part of my reason for looking past it and going with young Victoria. And that happens to also be the pick that Randy made on her list as well. Interesting. Uh, so I think this is going to be the first category in which we've all picked something dif different. I went with Il Divo, even though I have not seen the film. Uh, uh, one thing I have noted for this when I did a little bit of research on Il Divo is that apparently there's this this big thing about they took this this uh, one of the actors, uh, Tony Servillo, and uh, they turned him almost into like the exact replica of this, this uh, Italian prime minister from, from the past. And and for that to be like the only big point of the film, and then for it to be nominated for an Oscar, I figured it must have been pretty darn good, uh, even though I didn't get the chance to see it. Uh, so I picked Il Divo, but yeah. I have to admit I was stabbing in the dark a bit. I agree with you, Todd. I didn't think Star Trek's makeup was particularly amazing. Like there was like the green chick, which wasn't that well done, and there was like the Spock ears, which were okay, but nothing, nothing. I feel Oscar were Yeah, it's not like we were dealing with a with a, a bunch of Klingons or, or Ferengi or something that the makeup really demands a lot. I mean, it was a lot of very subtle Star Trek alien characters. There's a lot of human characters. Let's put yep. it that way. 
Um, so that's why I kind of looked past. And, you know, with your description of what you've said here for Il Divo, it sounds like a very, very good, safe pick. So uh, I I don't know. This was a really guess category yeah, for me. Yeah, though, I think, I think Young Victoria is probably another good pick, too, because in the past, the costume and makeup categories have sort of gone together for period pieces. So. All right, next up, music original score. Uh, the music for the film, the soundtrack. Uh, Scott, what did you pick for this? Um... Some good scores here. Um, quite a few that I liked. Uh, quite a few that I would enjoy listening to on their own basis. Um, the but and in my opinion, also some of the the best talent on display this year was Michael Giacchino, who we all know from in numerous Pixar films, as well as his work on the TV show yep. Lost for and uh, as well as his uh, his uh, soundtrack for Star Trek. Yes, not nominated. Not nominated. Right, so one for Michael Giacchino. Todd, about you and Ravi. So here again, another. F- well, oh, I can't say this is a feather in my cap. I take it back. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to say that uh, this would be evidence for why you guys are going to lose because you continue to not pick your your movie where it appears. But I also <laughs> not pick my movie in this category. I, uh, I also voted for Up. Though, this was, again, one of those ones where it was kind of even for me. None of these scores just stand out in my head as being better than the other. And I'll admit, it's probably up front because I just didn't pay a whole lot of attention. But that being said, Up did have a a better than usual. It was also given the nod by the Golden Globes. So uh, that was sort of extra incentive for me to pick Up here. So Up is my pick. And on Raimi's pick, I, I don't know that you can call this anything but a shot in the dark and perhaps... The, the best kind for, for catching <laughs> surprises, she picked uh, the fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> definitely definitely a n- unique choice. Uh, I, I went with Up. To me, this was actually one of those categories where I didn't feel like I had to guess. Like I think Up is the... the it was my personal choice, and it was, I think, the choice that's going to win. Uh, Michael Giacchino, he's been becoming more and more popular. I think he's going to be one of those well, well-known names, kind of like Hans Zimmer and James Horner, which we also see on this list. Uh, but his score for Up was amazing. Like, of any of this, the soundtracks that are listed here, it's the only one which I can still, like, hum the melodies and tunes for. And to me, that's that's pretty... That's something that you need to do in a film. And I'm tired of these sound sort of modern soundtracks, which are all sort of moody and uh, dissonant and something you can't come away, like, humming the themes for. And Up is also very much a sort of a, a leitmotif or a theme-based... Uh, a soundtrack where each some characters actually have their themes and as they show up in either characters thoughts or in person we get to hear their theme uh put put out there and that's something that's a very classical style of of soundtracking and uh and scoring and and something i i loved the work that uh, michael uh, giacchino did with that uh the rest of these i have to say except for maybe sherlock holmes by hans, hans zimmer which was unique you could say i just don't remember the the soundtracks from any of these other films so uh, still a music category, but this time original song. Uh, Scott, what did you pick here? I'm almost there. You are almost there indeed. With Princess and the Frog by Wendy Newman. A, 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 a clearly an Oscar winner in the past. Not a bad choice. Todd, by you and Remy. Uh, another split decision over here. I went with the what seems to be the song getting the most buzz going into the Oscar. Oscars, the weary kind from Crazy Heart. I think Crazy Heart's going to get a couple of nods in the Oscars, both with best with best actor and with original song. 
Uh, so that was my pick. As a side note, also the Golden Globes pick. Uh, he, on Raimi's list, she went with uh, Take It All from Nine. So she's making a few bets on Nine getting some recognition. And so she picked uh, that for original song, which is actually kind of an interesting pick considering how well Chicago fared in the, the music department when it was uh, in the Oscars. That's so true. that perhaps is a, a interesting pick here for it, getting some recognition as a musical. Yeah, I I also went with The Weary Kind. Uh, again, I actually got to see Crazy Heart. There's some great music in Crazy Heart. And I'm not a huge country fan, and there's some really good songs in this. So I have to admit, uh, uh, including this one, uh, The Weary Kind, is is a, a great song, an easy pick. I, I did really like the songs from uh, The Princess and the Frog. I think this is some of Randy Newman's stronger work of the, the sort of recent years, but just just didn't stand out to me as much as uh, The Weary Kind did from Crazy Heart. Nine's not a bad choice, so I have to admit. Uh, Raimi is, is definitely voting on some past uh past behavior there uh there's a random one in there called paris 36 from from loin de Peneme, which i've never heard of and i actually tried to find this this song on uh, youtube and couldn't find it <laughs> so i don't exactly don't exactly know what what the deal is it doesn't exist it's just there to fill space <laughs> so uh, a little little strange uh choice in there but uh well, we'll see all right, next up, uh, the two categories which no one seems to know how to define, uh, but we'll give it, give it our best. Uh, the first one being sound editing. Uh, Scott, Scott, <laughs> would you like to try to give, give a stab at uh, what sound editing is? Uh, yeah, sound editing. And, I mean, these actually are fairly well-defined categories. If you take a look at the credits of film, there actually are different people who do these two things, the mixing and the editing. The head of the sound editing department is led by the supervising sound editor. Or um, These people are usually recognized by a professional society of film editors, the MPSC. They usually carry that little acronym after their name, indicating their membership in that prestigious society. Um, mixing is done by the sound mixers, um, sometimes called the remastering phase, the, the mix down, something along those lines. Um, these are people who are generally not associated with the MPSC, although in recent years there have been more and more. So, so, so editors do, do so, the editing. So all I'm hearing now is, is reflexive mixing, definitions. Mixers do the mixing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard any concrete information added behind. The, the, the editors are the editing people, and the mixers are part of the, the mixing associations. Okay, so uh, at any given scene in a film, what there are probably... There, there are there are probably between about two dozen and 150 different sound elements. That could be a squeaking door, a footstep, an animal on screen, which is always making animal sounds. You have dialogue. You have dialogue replaced. It's called thing called foley, which is where you add in sound effects that would be present in the real world, which you didn't record while you were there by basically performing along with the picture later. All of these things, sound editors are responsible for taking trimming the ends, sort of tailoring them to make sure they fit the picture, sticking it along with the picture and passing it on. Once you get to the end of editing the sound for the entire film, like I said, at any given point in the film, you have somewhere between like 20 and 150 different sound elements. You haven't been paying attention to the other sound elements that are going on. You just made sure that each one you made sounds fine. The mixer's job is to take those 120 sound elements or however many you have at any given point in time. Music is added by this point as well. The composer's done scoring the film and to sort of mix all of them together. They're like a cook who has to take a hundred different spices and get them into a single soup that still tastes good without tasting like everything at the same time and without being bland. So the editors are responsible for making the sounds of the film, either sounds you recorded, 
during the film or sounds you got later and if sort of the mixers are responsible for getting it all to gel as a final solidified piece, five channels, three in the front, two behind you. Fair enough. So I think if, if you could say in summary, and you can you disagree, but it sounds like the sound editors are the farmers and the sound mixers are the cooks. Uh, sure. Or I mean, that's let, not half bad. Or analogy. maybe maybe to throw another analogy into the mix, since we ha- we have some, I would say you know if you had to go back to the, the music analogy, you'd say the sound editors are the musicians; they're the guys producing the stuff, and the sound mixers is the guy in the sound booth recording it all and, and putting them together. Fair enough. So we've got our our definition. What are our picks? Okay, well I'll take it away. Yep. I guess sound editing. Uh, some great sound editing in a lot of the films here. Avatar, uh, top-level work. Kurt Locker, top-level work. Glorious Bastards, pretty good. Up, excellent. Star Trek, excellent. I think the real front-runner for me was Star Trek. Um, and all of these films I've pretty much seen multiple times. So fairly close attention to the sound. Star Trek really had a lot of nice, innovative, sort of sci-fi sounds, which in a lot of the sci-fi films we had this year, some other, some other titles like Moon and what have you, really weren't quite as innovative as Star Trek, in my opinion. And the others, uh, like Avatar versus Star Trek, when it comes to innovation and sounds, I think they really wasted most of their time thinking on visual terms in Avatar and gave us a very conservative, very by-the-numbers sort of sound edit. Um, Star Trek, they were willing to be a little bit weird, and I appreciated that. So that's why it gets my vote. All right. Vote for Star Trek. Todd, about you and Remy? Uh, different votes here. I... I... I actually kind of regret my vote here. I think if if I had voted somewhere else, I think I probably would have picked Star Trek because as I think through it, some of those sounds from Star Trek, I'm I'm thinking in particular the uh, the way they did the the blaster, yeah, the uh, the laser. What am I trying to say? The the the, 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 the phasers, phasers, yeah. In uh, in Star Trek, and the way it had a visceral effect of striking like a physical object, as opposed to just being the little light burst that we've dealt with in the right. past. Uh, that was actually really good. So I think Star Trek is a good pick here, and I think if Star Trek were going to be recognized anywhere, I think here is where the the Academy would recognize it. I did, however, fall back on my domino scheme with Avatar. I think that I think the reason I go to Avatar here is because once again, the entire world of Avatar is created, and that means at the same time as the visuals are being imagined, so are the sounds of that world. And I think in hindsight, I would agree with you, Scott. Some of the sounds in Avatar probably aren't as unique as uh, as the visuals are. Uh, I'm just going to go here with they were so caught up in the love with Avatar, <laughs> things were flowing its way. Uh, on Raimi's ballot, however, she picked Up. And I think that, as you also mentioned, is a very noble pick here because Up also did a lot of invention with sound. And a completely animated film there, obviously, also has to do quite a bit with creating sounds to be effective. And clearly, Up will yeah i mean i i agree with you todd uh i wish i wish i'd gone with my heart i adored the sound editing in star trek i thought it was it was some of the best that that we've seen in a long time same with up in fact on the up soundtrack there are two tracks that are just sound effects uh because they are so great and because those are the guys at skywalker sound i think for both and uh, they are my heroes but i i had to go with my domino effect on this one and i i have been over and over disappointed by the picks of this category. I feel like the Academy has no idea what to pick, even like when awesome, awesome uh, 
solutions are put out that for them or options put out for them. Like last year when Wally was nominated for this and they did not pick it. So I have no confidence in them picking something that's great. I picked the Hurt Locker just because that's the one that I think is going to win all the awards. <laughs> <laughs> so we're falling on our, our domino scheme here, though. Uh, it's probably for good reason. Yep. I have no domino scheme. <laughs> okay, sound mixing. So uh, as we heard, this is putting all those pieces of recorded sound and created sound together into one cohesive mix along with the music. Uh, Scott, what did you pick for this? You know, really in my heart, I think what I would vote for if I was a member of the Academy, probably in this case, actually would be the Hurt Locker. Uh, like I said, it's a film that's able to breathe, and you can only do that if the mix is dead on. Uh, my mind jumps back to Master and Commander, Far Side of the World, yes. as being a perfect example of a film that's been mixed in such a way that it, it, it has respirations. You can feel it coming in and out. There's quiet moments. There's no score. There's just a ship on the sea. There's moments where, you know, there's this diegetic music. It's them playing cello and violin in the captain's suite. And then there's this ear-splittingly loud battle where you can hear the individual splinters bouncing off of other pieces of wood. Right, so you, you... Incredible. You use a sound term which which I I love for people to to learn what it means. Uh, diegetic. What does diegetic mean? Uh, music that is actually occurring in the story of the film. So if I am a character in Hello and start playing, that's diegetic music. It's not diegetic if you know I'm sitting there and there's you know Rage Against the Machine going as I look particularly angry and reload my. Gun. Unless I'm happening to be listening to Rage Against the Machine within the film. <laughs> Yes, and there are there are some subversions of this in certain films, usually comedies. Yep. All right, so so a pick for the Hurt Locker, Todd. About you, that actually wasn't a pick for the oh. Hurt Locker. That was a that was a, a vote of the oh, heart. I'm sorry. Uh, in this what did case, you pick? <laughs> in this case, I think that um, Avatar, for <laughs> the that. spectacle <laughs> of its auditory uh, sort of overload, he the sensory the overload, provides, <laughs> will probably drag people into its category. I don't think it's going to go on editing. I don't think Avatar is going to take editing because I think people actually can... It's a lot easier to hear better sound editing than it is to hear better sound mixing. Uh, that's true. Uh, so what was so the pick, pick is Avatar. Despite, the pick is Avatar. So, so you're, you're going a, a bit against the flow. Uh, no, no domino scheme, clearly. Uh, Todd, what about you and Remy? Uh, another split pick here, but this one's going to probably surprise yeah. you. Uh, so there's one pick... For the Hurt Locker, one pick for Avatar. Uh-huh. And since I've already said it'd be a surprise, <laughs> I suppose for this smart audience, you can figure out which way it's going to fall. I actually picked the Hurt Locker because I think of all things the Hurt Locker did well, I think sound mixing is where it particularly excelled. I didn't really get, I wasn't that impressed with the visuals. I thought they were good, and I thought they were classic, but I didn't think they were outstanding or anything that unique. But the sound mixing was essential to kind of building that sense of tension you guys have described. And, you know, with these guys working around high explosives, the sound and the silence, you know, the sort of the, the white space, the negative space of sound really stands out when you're dealing with the Hurt Locker. So I think that is very unique. So for me, the mixing effect there and mixing in the urban sounds with the sounds of them doing their, their job are what make the Hurt Locker stand out. And I'm not going to be blind. I'm going to say the Academy definitely wants to recognize the Hurt Locker at some point. Point, nod here and said, yeah, the Hurt Locker will pick up one award <laughs> in sound mixing. <laughs> the lowly award uh, <laughs> for sound mixing to the Hurt Locker. Raimi, on the other hand, uh, picked probably where I should have picked if I was going with my domino scheme. She picked sound mixing like Scott uh, for Avatar and obviously uh, an- another safe pick there and good pick considering that Avatar was going to win everything else. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to chime in there just really quick. If you can think back to the Hurt Locker, the uh, scene where they're under a sniper attack with the British contractors and the uh, specialist is asked to deal with their flank, which turns out to actually be an attack. And there's, you know, this deafeningly loud gunfire as he fires the M4 and takes out the combatant to their flank. And then the silence of like being in the middle of Iraq and the only sounds that are being produced are the wind and this sheep herd moving away from you at, at this point, probably 2000 feet from the ears, so to speak of the audience. Yeah. In terms of dynamic range and just how carefully it's mixed together. Yeah. You should have picked it, <laughs> which is what I did. <laughs> i I picked the Hurt Locker. I do think, uh, uh, this was one I found a bit easier. I do think the Hurt Locker was probably one of the the best uh, mixed uh, films that we ha- we had this year. Avatar is is not a bad choice. And actually, one thing we forget is that you know part of the mixing is also the mixing into the surround channels and uh and sort of the the rears and finding that sort of environment of of sound. I actually think Avatar probably did that best of any of the films around here, where where they really did feel engulf you into the three D. Uh, the 3D environments by making having a really good, well mixed uh, surround environment too. I, I know there were a couple times where, like, I heard like a buzz of a fly and it actually sounded like it was coming like from right behind my ear. So, so uh, I do think it was it was done well. Uh, Trek was also done well. Bastards, uh, kind of curious there. I don't think anything about the mixing stand out incredibly well, other than it would go from really quiet to really loud really quickly. Uh, and what the heck, Transformers? <laughs> Just, <laughs> I mean. Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually it does not belong in an Oscar list for editing, but I certainly didn't think that film was mixed in a particularly impressive I, yeah, way. Yeah, I didn't. So. I think Transformers, I thought it had a gross mix. I felt like as bad as like the visual mix was, the audio mix was equally like someone taking two toys and smashing them together. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's obvious that they ran out of picks here as well, and they said, you know... This was the top grossing movie until Avatar this, came this, around. It should be The sad for thing is that I now see the box art, which is Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> that is sad but true. Oh, Michael Bay. How much do they have to pay for that? <laughs> All right. The next category, which is uh, visual effects, and I have also renamed it the AKA the Avatar Award. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like all of the other awards. <laughs> Uh, Scott, what did you pick for the visual effects, a.k.a. the Avatar Award? <laughs> I really like the visual effects in the other two yes. nominees, but your naming is completely incorrigible. <laughs> it's got to be Avatar. <laughs> Todd, what about you and Remy? Uh It's universal here as well. Avatar on both accounts, and why I also think Avatar's dominoes will keep falling <laughs> in its favor. Uh, yeah, it, if the the naming of the, this title is or the of this category is not obvious enough, uh, I also went with Avatar. If this is this is clearly if anything Avatar has to win, this is it. Moving on. <laughs> All right, we're uh, we're getting to the last of our, our two middleweights, the the writing categories. First up is writing adapted screenplay, which means it was adapted on a previously written work, or in the case of one of the films, a previous short film that the the uh, the person that actually written themselves. <laughs> uh, Scott, what'd you pick for this? Um, uh, you know, some great films in here. Um, just because I think it's probably going to get. We're going to have to toss it to up in the air. So why why up in the air in particular? Well, 
I think because it's it's a really solid, traditionally well-made film. It's the Michael Clayton of the year. And it's going to get pretty much ignored because we have these other spectacular films slash terrible but noticeable films in every other category. Um, and I think probably one of the stronger parts of Up in the Air was its story. Um, I, I, I think the other obvious argument might be that you could go with Precious since the, the novel Push was very, very popular leading up into the film. Um, and certainly popularity that was enhanced by the film. But that said, I don't think it's going to be able to compete with just the traditional filmmaking appeal of Up in the Air. Sure. Alright, Todd, what do you maybe go for? Uh, another, yet again, split decision here, unlike visual effects. Uh, I went with Up in the Air. It was also given the nod by the Writers Guild, and, and I guess traditionally that's a good indicator for who will win the Oscar, so I think it's sort of the safe pick to go with Up in the Air. Um, that being said, I was really tempted to go with what was Raimi's pick, and Raimi's pick was Precious. <laughs> And I, I think Scott's already highlighted some of the, the reasons that Precious is, is a good pick here. The novel obviously being very popular heading into the movie. And the movie has, of course, received a lot of press now since being out. So I, I think both are, are good candidates. I think uh, the reason I'm going to go with Up in the Air is because I don't think I've recognized it anywhere else. And I think the Academy will want to recognize it somewhere. So for me, this is where it will get its recognition uh, but Precious, if it doesn't get recognized in other places, certainly this is a good place for it to find find some luck, too. That is true. All right, and I, I also went with Up in the Air. I do think there, there are a ton of great nominees. In fact, the writing category this year was just tremendous. I have to admit, there's some great, great choices. Uh, I would love to see Neil Blomkamp get to step up there and be like, hey, I'm this new guy and I won an Oscar. But I also think this is going to be the... The we're sorry, Jason Reitman. We would like to have awarded you something better, but this is the best we could get. Uh, you're right. This did also win the WGA. This did win uh, the Globe as well for best adapted screenplay, and it is incredibly well written. I have to admit, the dialogue and the story is really spot on and superb. Uh, a great job by Jason Reitman. I think it's gonna gonna pull it away. I will pull put a plug out for an education. Also, some really witty dialogue. And in the loop is, is another great nod. It's it's only a nomination here, but. A hilarious, hilarious British film. Probably some of the snappiest writing I've I've seen in a long time. Uh, I would recommend anyone going in in uh, watching this film if you don't mind a whole lot of really bad British sc- swearing in the film as well. But uh, part of the reason it was such a great screenplay. <laughs> All right. Next up is original screenplay, completely original works of uh, cinema in writing form. Scott, what'd you pick? <laughs> I, I, like you said it's an embarrassment of riches in both of the screenplay categories this year uh, tough call for me I'd love to imagine the Academy would acknowledge Inglorious but I don't think it's going to happen uh, I think it's going to be as hurt as a locker can get interesting interesting all right a vote for hurt locker Todd what about you this is actually a defining category for me for why I don't think Hurt Locker is going to sweep the awards because I think <laughs> just one of the <laughs> the categories. <laughs> if I haven't made my point clear yet, because I think here is a spot because I I've said it before I enjoyed Inglorious Bastards it was in my top movies of 2009, and up till now I don't think it's been in a category where it can win but i think that like you said with up in the air in adapted screenplay where they want to kind of throw a bone to up in the air i think here's where they would 
find an opportunity to throw a bone to um, Quentin Tarantino and I think that it will take the the nod here. I think it's one of the spots where it can stand on its own and easily stand up against the other films it's running up against. So I think that for simply the reason of being one of the few categories where Inglorious Bastards can be recognized, that is where it will find its success. So I go that route. And Raimi goes the route, uh, like Scott, with The Hurt Locker, which is obviously the other good pick in this category considering uh, the other awards it's nominated for. All right. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I actually went with you, Todd, on this case. I think this is the chance that the Academy gets to really recognize Inglorious Bastards for the the incredibly entertaining and just incredible spectacle, especially of the dialogue that was in this film, and uh, maybe get a chance to get Quentin Tarantino up there on stage and, and pat him on the back. I do have to admit, I think, I think if you have to look at this, as it comes to like original story and writing, I think that's, I think of these, that's the obvious choice. I mean, that was probably you know one of the one of the best stories, and what what an epic work to be written by Quentin Tarantino. And just think of if you know if you think of any film where you can remember amazing sequences of dialogue and very memorable stuff like the uh, the sequence where uh, Lieutenant Aldo Rain sort of introduces the ba- the bastards to to what they're gonna do. I, I think you, yeah. you just have to go with Inglorious Bastards on this. Yeah, I, d- I, d- I do think it might uh, go off to Hurt Locker, though this is where I'm sort of switching off my... Nine, 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 nine! <laughs> exactly, right? I, I'm, I'm switching off my, my domino effect, though I feel this is because the Academy wants to be all-inclusive. If they give a Best Adapted to Jason, to Jason Reitman, they give a Best Original to Inglorious Bastards, they give a Best Director to Catherine Bigelow, and Best Animated uh. Feature to uh to uh up that all their their uh or most most of the sort of uh top top rated uh people in the best picture category all sort of get something to go away with except james cameron who won't get anything except effects awards (laughs) except (laughs) and lots of money (laughs) lots of money (laughs) can i can i interject a possibly edited uh interjection Uh, Sure. Sure. Okay, we're into our last class, The Featherweights, the films that you will never have heard of and you will never never hear again even after the Oscars, The Forgettables, The Unfortunate Few, uh, mostly stuff involving foreign languages (laughs) because no one likes nothing that's not in English, which is a triple negative. Janes Brecken Gavaritzi is a Deutsche English, yeah. First up, foreign language film the 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 perhaps biggest of the featherweight categories and yet still quite featherweight in its own right scott what'd you pick uh just because if it's a foreign language film the title needs to be in a foreign language it's got to be das weiße bond not un prophet or el secreto de sus ojos or la teta asustada or unfortunately german is cooler (laughs) than all the above romance languages das weiße bond das weiße bond the white ribbon. Weisse Bond. Huh? All right. Or the way it's written on my checked off sheet, the white ribbon. The white ribbon. ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also the Golden Globe nom award winner. So also, because this is completely a, a guest pick for me, the reason I went that route. So this is a bit of an insurance pick for me, assuming the Globes will help. And uh, Raimi went with the fun Spanish-sounding one. And I believe the reason she picked, because on the official Oscar ballot, one of the few written in the foreign language, El Secreto de Sus Ojos. Uh, so, so two for Das Weisse Bond. And, Bond, no, yeah. Mine's for the and, white oh, ribbon. Oh, oh. 
One vote for White and, Ribbon, and one, one vote for, for El Secreto de Sus Ojos, which is the secret in their eyes. I also went with uh, Das Weisseband. That's that's the one that really has a lot of, I think, a lot of steam going behind it. It's also the only one that's nominated for anything else in the Academy Awards. It's also nominated for cinematography, so that's probably not a bad choice. Though apparently Un Prophet has been getting a lot of buzz. Uh, I remember when it when it came out in festivals, some people were uh, as audacious to say that it was better than The Godfather. So uh, I think could yeah, but could, Godfather is only cool could, it has a horse. Could be a surprise or upset in this category, but uh, The White Ribbon's uh, a pretty good choice. Next up, documentary feature. <laughs> a bunch of films that you've never heard of. Yay! <laughs> about a bunch of topics that you probably don't care about. But these directors think you should. Uh, Scott, what'd you pick? Actually, kind of interesting to see uh, sort of a first miss, really, in my memory, for our favorite director and his film, yeah, uh, Capitalism, A Love Story. Michael Moore. Traditionally, he appears in documentary feature pretty much every year that he puts a film out. Of course, hasn't won since they boot him off the stage for his first actually half-decent film bowling for Columbine. Yeah, they don't, they don't um, like but, him so much anymore. <laughs> right. He, 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 is, he has failed them. Uh, the most popular, most buzzed film in this list, and the one that actually made it onto my Netflix queue, was Food Incorporated. Yeah, and uh, certainly the most interesting one, in my opinion, having all. Um, so that would be my vote. Okay, so one for Food Inc., Todd, what about you and Ramey? Uh Let's see. So, documentary feature. Uh, another split here. In fact, my vote went off of uh, really a last-minute observation of some, some coverage that was be give, being given to this film, filmed in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the documentary called The Cove. Uh, I didn't really know anything about any of these until I saw some coverage about this one. And it, based on what I saw, it really is very interesting. You know, some guys went very undercover, very much into a hostile environment to try to film uh, what is the situation in Japan where dolphins are being bred, sold to trainers, and then those that aren't being sold to trainers are being slaughtered for seafood. Uh, don't really care much for the political stance on it, but it does seem to be a movie that at least took a lot of effort, which I appreciate. Sure. So uh, in a completely blind guess way, and because it's getting coverage on the news, I go The Cove. <laughs> And Raimi get to Which Way Home, which oh, is, I think, more about illegal immigration and um, and about people in Mexico jumping on trains to make it into the U.S. Right. Yeah, I, I have a firm belief that for a documentary feature, you have to have a narrative attached to it or it's just not going to take off and it's not going to be interesting. And I think of these, there's only a few that really do have good narratives. I think Which Way Home is one of those and The Cove is also one that has a pretty interesting, almost kind of thriller narrative of these guys who, who do this kind of sting operation to catch uh, these uh, these dolphin farmers and these dolphin poachers in Japan. Uh, so I, I, I happen to go with, with The Cove because it's something I've actually seen a lot of previews for it, uh, before some independent films up here. I've heard a lot of good buzz about it. Uh, apparently it has the, the guy who invented Flipper, and he was a part of this whole project. So uh, some some famous names in there too. Uh, and because it's also kind of, you know, got a thriller element to it and sort of a, a mystery or, or sort, of, sort of a attention bit to it, uh, which is also what made uh, last year's winner, uh, Man on Wire, very interesting, which also has sort of a mystery uh, tension thriller aspect to it. Uh, so I, I went with it. I think I think that's the sort of thing that appeals to people. Stuff that has a good narrative. I'm with Cove. All right, uh, moving on. 
documentary short. <laughs> Yay. Scott? <laughs> A great category. Uh, you know, this is a toss-up. I have no way of seeing these films. Um, and the buzz on them is about his existence is, you know, the buzz regarding the smells that are produced from armpits. <laughs> so I just sort of decided that China's unnatural disaster, the tears of Sichuan province, is the most likely because then I get to say Sichuan. Right, so we got one... What you've managed to do twice. Good <laughs> so got, got, I may do it again. One, one for China's unnatural disaster. Tears of the Sichuan province. Uh, Todd, what about you and Remy? This is actually interesting. I didn't notice this until I looked at the ballots here. We both completely independently, having filled out our ballots, ended up on the same pick. <laughs> uh, we both picked the last truck closing of a GM plant. Um hmm. My reasoning, I don't know about hers, was simply because of how much the auto industry has been in the news lately. And kind of there's this this whole idea of Detroit is almost a ghost town now. I mean, Detroit is really, if you see some of the, the photo documentaries of the city and how bad it is, a city that was built to basically maintain or to support almost 2 million people now holds about 500,000. Uh, it's a real ghost town kind of feeling. So I almost get the sense, or I'm betting on the sense, that the Oscars want to throw a bone to Detroit here and also want to kind of play into that whole political agenda of the auto industry. So that was my pick reasoning, and I, I don't know what hers was, but it's a good pick because it's where we are. <laughs> right. Uh, ra- randomly, I, I seriously eeny, meeny, miny mode this, and I ended up on the last truck closing of the, of a GM plant. Uh <laughs> So, so apparently that's got something drawing people of the world to it. Uh, I do agree, though, with with, <laughs> with your your reasoning behind this. It, it, the economy is something that's very prevalent on people's mind, especially stuff around uh, uh, the closing and closing of of GM uh, trucks or or GM GM plants and uh, just auto industry in general. So I, I do think this at least might have some more interest from people, and, and maybe more Academy members went to go see it. So maybe that's why it'll win. You know, and almost in a sick way, you kind of get the sense that if the Academy does pick the Hurt Locker, which I don't think they will, <laughs> but if they do, they almost be like, look, we picked the last truck closing of GM plant. We picked what real people Ooh, right, do. Yeah. <laughs> so like, throw, throw a bone to the average man. <laughs> By picking, picking documentary short. <laughs> Showing the closing of the your film factory. that's impossible to see, quite literally. <laughs> Well, you know, I'd almost, I'd almost toss out a dissent. You know, quite a few pictures about the economy, which would have been eligible in documentary feature capitalism, love story being the most, the most uh, noticeable amongst them. And, and those were not nominated. And in fact, did fairly poorly. I think the economy is sort of a sour topic at the moment. And that especially when it comes to documentaries, they look for something a little bit fresh. Uh, which is which why, why some breakout documentaries, which, which is why you know they picked Taxis to the Dark Side when they could have picked stuff like on the on the on the Dark Side of the Moon or the best documentary the ever made, The King of Kong. <laughs> I, I will disagree with your statement, but I do agree. It, it is odd not seeing capitalism, a love story, in this mix. And uh, the the truth is, there there might about, be there might be a Michael better Michael made documentary in this mix, but there's no way for us to know. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't we just move right Moving on. Moving on. Short film, animated, second to last in our list of categories. Uh, another one of my favorite categories. The thing I love about this, they tend to be stuff done by students or, or uh, people who don't mind sharing their content with the world, so you can actually go see them. And in fact, three of these films, uh, 
uh, can actually be viewed on YouTube. And I do have links to them on the website. So I highly suggest you go see as many of these as you can on YouTube. They're all well worth your time, the, the short 8 to 10 minutes it will take to watch them. Four of them can be seen on YouTube. Oh, uh, can can uh, can Logorama be seen as well? That's, yep, I guess pieces yep. of it can be seen. Uh, no, both parts are oh, out there. Oh, okay, great. Then four of them can be. Uh, yeah, so a great chance to actually get to see something, which is uh, which is cool for this category. Uh, that said, Scott, I don't think you actually did watch any of them, despite the fact that's, I did that's search, the webs, search the webs to put these links out here so people could enjoy the animated features. But what'd you pick anyway? Well, I don't like coffee. No French roast. Uh, you know, La Dama y La Murta sounds a little scary. Logorama, I don't like logos. A matter of loaf and death, I don't like puns. That just leaves me with... Rennie Grimm and her Sleeping Beauty, which was a successful movie in the 50s, so I'm going to bet on it being a successful <laughs> Sleeping Beauty was. Movie. So not, not going with with uh, with the British favorite uh, Ardman Studios and A Matter of Life and Death and Wallace and Gromit? Afraid not. I don't even think that should be allowed to be nominated, frankly. Yeah. It's like <laughs> nominating an episode of The Simpsons. It just doesn't seem right. All right, uh, Todd, uh, what, what did you and Rain pick? And I also asked, did you guys actually get a chance to check some of these out? Yeah, we watched all of them. Uh, well, I watched all that you could yep. watch, uh, with the exception of A Matter of Loaf and Death. Though I did watch the sort of trailer for it, and recognizing that it was that claymation um, style, and what is it? It's the, Wal the Wal 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 Gromit, which is series. a very popular franchise, right? It, it just didn't seem right that a franchise <laughs> is allowed to be in the same category as what these other four shorts are, which are genuine yep. Independent and standalone. I, and I, shorts. I will also note that that uh, a Wallace and Gromit film has won Best Animated Film in the past. I believe Curse, Curse yeah. of the Were Rabbit won for Best Film. Which is why Asian I further don't think it's ties. very appropriate <laughs> in this category. <laughs> that being said, them uh, I thought they're all except with the exception of Logo Rama. Yep. I thought they were all pretty clever. Logo Rama to me, I don't understand how it ends up on this I have list. To agree. Uh, <laughs> Logorama is the worst in terms of technical excellence, like. The, the animation quality, and also the absolute worst in writing. And it's a total, uh, totally vulgar, totally sort of cheap writing approach. Something I'd expect to find late night on a Yeah, it's some, some, or something you expect to see by, you know, some 12-year-old on Newgrounds. Uh, at right. least story-wise. I have to admit, I think the concept was very cool, and the execution was pretty impressive. But the, I have to agree, the, the, the story was like 11 year old and it wasn't super great yeah. art as well ronald mcdonald goes bad yeah. and starts killing people <laughs> and the michelin cop dudes like chase after yeah, him and they're all on like logo vehicles so uh i don't know how that ends would. up this, <laughs> this does not end up on this list for me so my pick actually sadly i got there randomly uh was granny o'grim's sleeping beauty uh, i thought that was the the most clever and the most well executed amongst the bunch uh it's one of the few that actually also had dialogue so i kind of gave it extra nods for both having dialogue and a strong sense of its own style and i think that's for me where french roast and uh la dama la dama y la muerta failed um in that the lady in the re parted with a very strong visual style but then kind of became like an animaniacs cartoon <laughs> with sort, like sort the the classic Scooby-Doo, like, Scooby ducking out of yep. drawers, and then the, the roller coaster scene. I mean, it became kind of like gratuitous <laughs> animation. kind of got a little off track for me. <laughs> uh, and the French roast was just kind of slow 
and a little bit too moral for my my preference. <laughs> so I went with uh, the Grammy O'Grim Sleeping Beauty. Ramey, however, went with uh, the Lady and the Reaper, which I will have to say it is, yep, funny. It is funny. The Lady and the Reaper does have a very kind of a twisted sense of humor in that uh, sort of promoting promoting you know, suicide. suicide. Yes. <laughs> However, the idea makes sense and the execution is very lighthearted and fun. So I, I could have gone either way on those, but I ended up going Granny O'Grim. She ended up going the Lady and the Reaper. All right. So two for Granny Grim, one for La Dama y la Muerte. I. Uh, Again, I love this category. I do, I do agree that Logorama was an odd choice, though. I did, I did like the concept. I thought it was going for something cool. I haven't gotten a chance to see A Matter of Loaf and Death because we can't watch Ardman stuff unless we pay for it, and we can't pay for it quite yet. I, uh, I did love all the other ones. So they're, I mean, these are really clever, clever, clever uh, uh, pieces that that people put out of animation, uh, and really quite funny too. Uh, so it's 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 fun to get to see this stuff. I happen to go with uh, French roast, though. Uh, that's the one. Is yeah, really? it was the, the first first one I picked, and it was uh, first one I, I saw. And I have to admit, of all of them, I thought it had the most sort of unique flair to this. This sort of one guy sitting in the same situation for a very long time, and then with this sort of you know comedic thing happening to it. And I I actually really did enjoy it, and I actually enjoyed. I thought it had kind of a fun, poignant ending to uh, sort of a, a fun twist on it. And uh, something about it just clicked with me. I, don't, I have to admit. The, it for me felt the most classic in the sense that it was the the one amongst the group able to tell a story without dialogue, yeah. but it also kind of dragged, and I thought it was a little bit cliche in the sense <laughs> of these animated shorts. But I, I, I think, can understand it was entertaining. I, I, I also really liked the, the sort of the animation style of the homeless guy who looked like a giant fuzzball. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, though I have to admit, if you guys, since you guys uh, did uh, pick Granny O'Grims, if you like that stuff, I think there's actually a series of work work uh, that these people have done and you can actually go watch uh, the other stuff they've done on youtube as well i will say that's one of the cool things about this category and i would encourage anybody who hasn't to go check these out because it's probably the of all you know each of these is about i'd say five to seven minutes uh in actual length you're probably gonna enjoy this a lot more than you will a lot of the other pieces of content out here so it's a fun little way to to see what's in the accessible to to people category i definitely think Okey-doke. Last category. <laughs> a a wonderful category to end on the short film, live action. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see what you guys went with on on this one, and and as especially interested to see your reasoning for this, because unlike documentary, it's a little harder to reason about why someone might choose this. Scott, my reason. Scott, easy. what did you choose? <laughs> I decided to channel the hungry Krogans on the. Uh, Citadel Presidium floor ah. and go with Miracle Fish because I really hope there's some in the water. <laughs> uh, Todd, what about you and Remy? Uh, so, so on this, I was trying to get clarification here quickly, but the, the pod, Remy picked Miracle Fish. All right. um, she liked the name. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it comes down to that for Miracle Fish <laughs> on short film live action somehow magically meets up with Scott's All guess. Right. So maybe there's something to coalesce there. Uh, on my side, mine actually has a little bit more reasoning than mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm interested. So I have no, I have no idea what the fish. actual I've heard film there are is fish. about. Uh, I, I picked uh, The New Tenants because I like Vincent D'Onofrio 
and he's one of the characters in this. Uh, you may know him from uh, Law and Order, Criminal yep. Intent, or perhaps movies like, um, oh, what was it he did, where he plays the serial killer, uh, The Cell, the cell right. so, or, or more, more blockbuster Men in Black as the alien. So I think that he's a, a very talented actor, and I've seen him do some very interesting things. And some of the characters in this, just from what I was able to see from the trailer, well... Um, so for that reason alone, I went with the new it's, tenants. It's a, it's a better reason than the reason I, I, uh, I selected mine, which happened to be the exact same reason as Raimi when she selected hers, which is the name Miracle Fish is really funny. <laughs> so we have three Miracle Fish votes because the name sounds cool. And one person, one who, person actually looked at who's who, in who actually the did some research <laughs> and, uh, and, and made it a more than educated guess. <laughs> and I will probably lose on this category. <laughs> Well, I mean, just quickly glancing over, keeping track of what everyone was nominating here, I think it's highly unlikely we'll get a tie for All winner. Right. Um, so I think there will be a lot of us watching lousy films. And one of us enjoying fine champagne. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, it's a very Perhaps the rest selection. of us enjoying some Andre. Uh, so to briefly wrap things up, uh, we've gone through all all these things. Let's just spend uh, two minutes talking about uh, what you guys think in general of of what was nominated this year. Any big thing missing that you wish was on there, or, or anything on there that you think uh, clearly did not deserve to be nominated? I'll kick it off and just say solid I, solid I, solid. I don't think uh, Transformers <laughs> deserve to be on this list. <laughs> Even though I understand the names perhaps have some credibility in their field, the movie was awful. The movie was pure pop, summer popcorn. And, I, and I'm the average man. I'm the everyman. I'm not the elite man in this group. So I shouldn't be uh, be the one critiquing it, but it clearly is that. So I, I don't know how it got a nod. And I agree with Dustin that it's very sad that now this box art will come out in the stores <laughs> with Academy Award-nominated Transformers 2. Um, but otherwise, I thought the list was pretty fair. I mean, I, I'm glad Avatar was where it was. Uh, I Frankly, after seeing Hurt Locker, I think it deserves to be on here. Uh, and, you know, Star Trek got nods. I don't think it's going to win, but it got nods, which is good, as did Glorious Bastards, which I'm also a fan of. So I think that the overall nods, uh, not only films that were perhaps critically well-received, but also generally well-received by audiences. Cool. Scott, what about you? What about you? What did you think of this year? Or is there anything that you wish had been on there that is not? I feel like I feel like it was pretty complete in terms of people they were noticing and stuff. It's it's not a not a year where something like Breach comes out at the beginning of the year and then you completely forget, oh, a certain supporting actor's performance in it when it's time for the awards. Um I mean, just a couple of quibbles in certain areas, like uh in original song, they nominated Down in New Orleans, which I thought was one of the weaker songs from Princess and the Frog. I would have liked to see Dig a Little Deeper, which I thought was a showstopper. Uh, and, and I mean, like it's been mentioned, I don't think Transformers had a very good mix, but it's hard to argue with Gary Summers. I mean, <laughs> no, it's pretty uh, easy to argue with his mix on that one. I'll, I'll have to disagree it's, with you it's easy to argue with his mix, but, but frankly, he could, he could mix together like a telephone book being dropped on the floor and flatulence and probably get nominated for an Academy I mean, well, oh, sure. I agree. Uh, that doesn't, doesn't, so, so there is doesn't, that. Doesn't there mean this that. should have been nominated, though. <laughs> I will wait for the, for the, the telephone sure. book farts. More speaks about the quality of the award. <laughs> cool. Uh, in, in, anything else? Yeah, uh, any other comments on, on just the general scope or anything else you wish had been on there? 
would have liked to see uh, another nomination for Brad Pitt. Oh, I could play. And for his as a supporting actor, not something that he would win, but just a nomination, kind of like Johnny Depp being nominated for playing Jack Sparrow. Just a completely over-the-top comedic role with a lot of really hilarious sort of furrowed eyebrow thrown no, into I, it. I, mean, I, I agree, because I think he did a great job, but who would he have been supporting to? It, it, wasn't he the lead to make Christopher Waltz, or Christoph Waltz supporting? I think you could have thrown well, Matt Damon off and put in, uh, Brad Pitt <laughs> in his place. Easily. Yeah, I, I agree. And and it's it's really hard to guess how the acting oh. branch of the academy. Um, I don't think he would have been able to squeeze into the leading actor category. But like I said, it looks like there's some space in supporting actor, especially since it's already locked up who's winning. Yep. So cool. I will say that the one thing I was disappointed that did not get any nods, and I'm actually very disappointed in this, is uh, the Hangover, yeah, considering how how successful it was and i understand that comedies do get overlooked by the academy fine i get that but considering that they expanded best picture to 10 picks and some of the ways in places it could have been recognized i'm just disappointed that if transformers can find a way to get recognized that the hangover for everything it was and its writing could not and, and i get that's not the academy's type but uh, it was a great movie from 2009 that didn't get any recognition no, yeah i agree like you know maybe a supporting nod for zach galifianakis or something like that uh, but I would right. point you and everyone to the hilarious YouTube video of the song Comedian at the Oscar by Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, and Jack Black to Indeed. find out why that is. Uh, I have to admit, I have to think this was a, a pretty good... And things that you thought were yeah, missing? this was a pretty good year. I, I felt like overall the things I, you know, I hoped to be in the categories ended up being there. The big, big miss for me was uh, a cinematography nod for Where the Wild Things Are, which is just a gorgeous film. And I, I feel to overlook that is just is kind of a crime like i feel like a lot of a lot of the people in the academy just overlooked that film because they couldn't get it and they didn't really dig spike jones's style but you put harry potter on there but you didn't put where the wild things are like to me that just feels like a snub towards uh spike jones and his style because uh, it is if, if it you know if, if anything else it's definitely a beautiful beautiful film uh i, I am a bit happy and and i, I hate to cut you off just sure. to interrupt I'm a bit happy that uh, Michael Jackson's This Is It did not end up True. on one of the documentary categories. And a bit surprised at the same time, considering it could have been seen as a tribute to, to his career. That's a good point. Uh, for, for documentary. Yep. Uh, the, the only other big... I think since oh, the... Yeah, nomination in the documentary category is also... It's also one of those fairly narrow branches of the Academy. Of the documentarians were voting in there. And... I mean, they're pretty sharp guys, and I don't think they would... This Is It is, like you said, it's almost more of a tribute than an actual documentary. It's just sort of random pieces of footage they were able to string together that happened to coincide with something interesting. Um, so I, I don't think he would ever get a nomination in that category unless if nothing else was going on, because really it was not that spectacular of a documentary film. Well, I guess it really won't after this year, so I think it's a foregone conclusion. <laughs> well, you never know. Maybe, maybe there'll be another documentary on michael jackson in the future <laughs> you know he's he's got he's, 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 he's got ghost. a lot of, he's got a lot of life to to go back through and and uh maybe do something about true true but uh yeah the only other thing that i really thought was missing from this list uh and this was more of a like than a should have been uh and that was a nomination for sam rockwell for his work in the film moon 
in a supporting actor. And again, like I said, when you have people like Matt Damon there who clearly don't deserve to be on that list, like why not make a nod to some of the to an amazing performance uh, from a very small budget film uh, uh, and a very powerful performance too uh, by Sam Rockwell, who I think is an actor who doesn't get as as many nods as he should for being a the sort of great actor that he is. Very fair. So I think there's only one song you could possibly take this podcast out on. So Anthony Hopkins, you can laugh, but someday 